I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Mina Samuels, author, performer, and former litigator. Her new book is Run Like a Girl, 365 Days, a practical, personal, inspirational guide for women athletes. The world of inspirational aspiration is oversaturated with people who will tell you how to aim higher, run faster, and live in the moment. The problem is their advice comes from above, people who tell you how to do things rather than do them with you. They're about direction, not connection. Minus Samuels believes that your best life is an authentic life, a life that embraces the mess, the complexity, and the contradictions, a life where the personal transformation comes from within. She's a writer, playwright, and performer, and in a previous incarnation, uh, a litigation lawyer and human rights advocate. She's authored several books and has been featured in HuffPost and Medium. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Mina. Thanks so much for having me, Catherine. Well, you are, uh, just reading your book, we know you are a living example of what you've written about in your book. You're an, you've led it, I don't want to say led, you're leading an authentic life. So, first question, when and how did you decide to shift your career, let's start from the beginning, from a, an attorney to an author to an athlete? Sorry, I was just thinking for one second about how I wanted to start that, because it's one of those, when I was born, no, yes. uh, but I will start with, when I was a child, if anyone go- ends up going to my website, there's a picture on my website of me when I was six years old, sitting on our front lawn, selling these stapled together pieces of paper um, that I had written on and drawn on, and I was selling my volumes, I would tell my parents. I never had a lemonade stand, I just had my stand to sell my writings. And then I went quite a bit away from that, and I studied law. But it was actually when I first, I live in New York City now, um, and when I moved to New York from Canada, uh, where I grew up, um, I was doing my master's of law, so continuing in law. I practiced for a few years, and I wanted to pursue it at a higher level. And I was talking to the law librarian one day, who was a serious runner. She had done marathons and all those sorts of things. And... Uh, she was asking me about my running, and I had just started getting into it because there's a lot of people who run in New York, so you see people running, and you think, oh, I should do that. I should try that. So I had started running, and I had built up, so I was doing um, I was doing a, the six-mile loop of Central Park maybe two times, maybe three times a week. So I said to her, a little bit of an exaggeration, oh, I run 10, I run 10, three to four times a week. And she was so impressed. And, um, and I thought, wow, for someone who runs as much as she does, I don't know why she's as impressed by my running, which, you know, I had scaled up from two to three to three to four. And I was walking home from that conversation. And then I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, I'm Canadian. I was thinking 10 kilometers, but she was thinking 10 miles. And I have never in my entire life run 10 miles, and I I never will. I mean, I can't. It's impossible. It's not a thing I can do. But I went home, and for some reason, I was just very, I was very upset by the idea that I had misspoken to her. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, I'll apologize to her tomorrow, and I'll explain the situation. And then I thought, no, I'm going to put on my running shoes, and I'm going to go out and run 10 miles. 
So I went out into the park and I actually ran two loops of Central Park. Um, and when I look back on it now, I just think, oh my gosh, that was crazy. But um, so that was 12 miles, 20 kilometers. And about halfway through that run, I it was like that old Monty Python image of the top of the head coming off and the flowers growing out of the top. And I just felt amazing. It was like suddenly I could feel this body that I'd had all along, but that I hadn't paid as much attention to. And, um, and also it was a definitive day in my life where I woke up thinking I was capable of one thing. And then midway through the day, I suddenly thought, wow, uh, I just did something I never thought I could do. And I didn't build up to it. I didn't, you know, it wasn't a goal I had set. And so the fact that it came out of nowhere like that was so exhilarating to me that it really caused me to just look again at everything I was doing in my life. And um, it precipitated what eventually was a pretty had, big You had a transformative, I mean, you had a transformative experience, as you say. You weren't actually looking for it or trying to, to looking for something and to make changes. It just happened to you. So, but what about for the rest of us who that doesn't happen to, but we want to live that kind of a life to realize, hey, I can do this, I can do something different. And it doesn't necessarily, as you say, have to be related to actu- to swimming, jumping, running. We have to change sort of the definition of what we mean by ath- athlete, right? It can be managing, yeah. Yes, absolutely. We, we need to change both the def- definition of athlete in this conversation and also the definition of transformation because while I had that experience that was really from a moment to a next moment, um, transformation is generally something that happens slowly day by day, inch by inch over time. And so usually what happens is a bunch of time passes and then we look back and we think, wow, I got here. I didn't really expect that. And athlete that word, when I use it in the book and when it's used in the title, what it means to me, because um, I take the liberty of defining the words that um, I use in my book, it means any of us who, in our pursuits, whether it's sports, whether it's activity, um, or whether it's our work, or whether it's how we're raising our family, we are trying to do this at our personal level of excellence. And that's what athletics has meant, you know, if we look back at the Greeks or the Romans and that sort of idea of excellence. That's what I'm talking about when I use the word athlete. And to be also to be clear, when I say excellence, I don't mean perfection. Perfection is perfection is a dream or or a nightmare, really, um, that doesn't really exist. Excellence is is us trying to be our highest selves and, and taking aim at that, really. Yeah, I think one of the, what you say is embracing our strength, because I think you're right, that idea of perfection usually keeps us from doing something. Well, I can't be perfect at it, whatever it is. Uh, you described a lot of different kinds of situations. Can't do that, then I'm not even going to try. But if you really take a look, as you say in your book, if you just embrace your strengths, and forgive your failures, that's another issue. How do you do that? How do you do that? Take us through, you know, how that happens. Yes, you, you're a runner, you've done all of these kinds of things, but there had to be moments when you also were, 
you know, I'm not sure I can do this. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a few uh, moments. All the time. <laughs> and, um, and, and yes, to be clear to, to everyone, I, um, I am in this mess that is our lives with everyone else struggling to forgive my failures every day. The most recent one in the sports arena was that a friend of mine convinced me to do a half marathon with her for her birthday back in April. And racing um, is something that I actually have stopped doing mostly because uh, I did a lot of it for a while. And I decided I didn't want to put that type of pressure on myself anymore, that I was just enjoying the physical activity itself and didn't need to constantly be measuring myself, partly because I have trouble psychologically with, you know, slowing down as I age, I guess. And so that's something I'm really working on. I trained poorly and ineffectively for the half marathon, and it went very badly. And I was in the race itself, and I was starting to you know, get that voice going in my head of what's wrong with you. Wow, you're really screwing this up. How could you, you know, what what did you think you were doing? But I do have to say that I have a fairly um, consistent mindfulness practice now. And I find that that is really, really helping me with being able to see almost, you know, from outside myself, oh, that's that voice. And that voice is talking to me now. And I don't have to listen to it because that voice is not necessarily speaking my truth. And so by the end of the race, which was very long and painful feeling, I had gotten to the place where I was able to cross the finish line and think, Mina, you are a rock star for having finished this race, despite how hard it was. And in fact, it's even better that you finished it given how hard it was, because that shows that you have perseverance, which is the most important thing, not running fast. Yeah. So well, you talked I about, you just that, mentioned though, you just mentioned the aging process and, and adjusting to that. And, you know, with the aging population, I think that's really something, let's talk about that because you have people who are 50 who realize they can't do what they did at 40 or 30. And how do you keep that mindset of I, I can transform, I can do different kinds of things. There are certain things I maybe shouldn't be doing now or don't want to do. I think that's very difficult for people. And, and, and they, they're not, that's a, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, I don't want to even use the word middle age, but I think, you know, where you live to be 90 years old, how does this carry us through? What do we do? How do we handle this sort of what we can do and what we can't do? Well, the first thing I'd say to that, so I'm 53, just to credential myself in the aging population. And um, so I'm very aware of, uh, and and I spent a lot of time in my sports, for example, measuring myself because I did races. So I am very aware of places that I'm slowing down or places that I don't have the strength that I used to have. For me, um, of course, I'm... I I don't have this figured out and I probably won't, but things that I do know and that really help me are, first of all, we're, we're actually literally scientifically never too old to be building muscle. Our muscles are one of the cells in our body that actually can continue to grow and regenerate even as we age. So that's pretty great. 
It means that it's always worth giving it a try. Yes, how it looks is going to be different as we age, but the fact that we're doing it is so incredibly important. It's also important not to compare yourself against, well, really against anyone because it's cliche, but it is absolutely true that when we compare, we despair. It is incredibly rare that we compare ourselves against someone else and think, wow, I'm so great and they're not. And in fact, usually when we're thinking that, that's the voice of judgment in us that we use more often against ourselves than we do against other people. So you can be sure if you're thinking that outwardly, probably you're self-directing a lot more negativity than you are outward. Um, So there's that. And there's just thinking about what's a new thing I can do. I find for myself, doing new things is really helpful. For example, I've been saying that I don't really do road races anymore. What I've done is I've shifted. I really love trail running now, and I love hiking, and I love just being in mountains. So any opportunity I have to be on a trail, I would much rather just be out there. And that's actually it's a little bit less measurable of an environment. So it's measured more in just pleasure and feeling the exertion that you're putting in. I, you know, a few years ago, I changed up from doing regular yoga to doing aerial yoga. Again, it's a place where I don't have, I don't have a comparison with my younger self. So that makes it a lot easier. And instead what I feel is, wow, look at me. I picked this up and I'm 53. That's pretty cool that I'm doing this. Um, what do you say to so people who people say to, to you, Mina, oh, you used to be, you know, you were running marathons and half marathons and now you're not doing that anymore. Uh, who challenge you, question you. What's the response? Do you mean I'm not challenging myself enough anymore? I mean, or no, you when mean, people ask you, you know, the, I'm not talking about yourself, you feel confident in what you're doing, oh, but then you have other people ah, in your life who say, how come you're not running anymore? How come you're not doing them, you know, a half marathon, you know, tr- tr- you know, trying to, how do you respond to those kinds of questions? I say that I found new things that bring me joy. And those are the things, we don't have time to do everything all the time in our lives, Often we want to move on to something that's fresh for us so that we can approach it with a new kind of zeal. So that's why I'm doing, um, that's why I'm doing different things now than what I did before. If I kept on doing the same thing over and over again, for me, I start to find that um, less interesting, less engaging, and less, it, it doesn't get me up in the morning as much as, you know, having some things that are tried and true friends. And then making some new friends on the road, um, finding new activities that are fun to do because finding the fun in it and finding the joy in it is absolutely essential. I was talking to a woman last night who said, sometimes I'm on the treadmill and a really good song comes on and I want to get off the treadmill and dance. Does that seem like it's okay? And I was thinking, yes, it does. Get off the treadmill and start dancing. That sounds fantastic. So I'll give I you an example of that. that. I was listening to and, and my uh, kids were laughing. They weren't there, but you know, they were having a fundraiser for one of the uh, public radio stations. And it was back to the 60s and 70s. And uh, this is a 
you know, those fundraisers that they have. And I stood up and started dancing around the room. It reminds me of your friend. And it felt good. Probably ridiculous <laughs> if anybody saw me, but no one did. So that was okay. Um, although I'm telling you now on the radio. But it, it's those kinds of moments that uh, make you feel good. Absolutely. And they make you, you know, when you're inhabiting your body in that free way, which is why I titled the book Run Like a Girl, because it's that kind of light spirit and let's go and that curiosity that we had as girls that I feel like is so enriched by the wisdom we have as women. And if we can combine those two things together and dance, not just in private, but in public together and not care what we look like, just care that everyone sees our joy, that is what I wish for all of us. I mean, I I, I know that that's hard, that there's so many societal pressures that make that a difficult thing for us, but that is my, you know, profound hope. So girl instead of woman, because you titled the book, uh, Run Like a Girl, instead of Run Like a Woman, and... I'm assuming that Run Like a Girl just feels more, it's more open, it's more joyous, uh, or I don't want to answer the question. Why? Yeah. No, uh, that's, that's exact. Those are beautiful words to use. Open, joyous, light, engaged without self-consciousness, um, willing to take risks, curious, curious, curious. That is, you know, that, and, and not... Um, not feeling burdened by all of the shoulds that start to line up so early in our lives. A girl should be like this. A girl should be like that. A girl should. Um, But then, as I was saying, when we combine that, when we can bring that together, knit it together with our wisdom as women, uh, wow, we can be pretty much unstoppable. But, you know, we have to have that that willingness to get red in the face and really sweat and really, you know, commit to things um, in a way that's a little bit risky. Well, you said that um, with vulnerability comes authenticity. So what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is unless we are willing to really let people see who we are we need to embrace this mess that is us. Maybe most of the other people out there, but I don't think so, are all, you know, everything inside. It's like the inside of the cabinets is all perfectly arranged and and has been dusted in the last three days. But that's not what it's like inside me and I think inside most people. But if we are willing to let people see that we're not all together all the time and that we have... We are, we are afraid of things and that even though we're afraid of things, we're moving forward. That gives other people the strength to move forward too because they see it's not helpful when you look at someone else and you think, well, they're unafraid and they've got it all together, so of course they can do that. It, that, that sort of creates a barrier between us. When we, are, when we are more open and more vulnerable with each other, then we're really also bringing our true selves to what we're doing. And um, there's a lot of talk, you know, now about bringing our gifts into the world, and, and, uh, and of course we should, but the bottom line is that the biggest gift, the single most important gift that we offer to other people is our authentic selves, is to be our truest 
ourselves and to be present with others in our authentic capacity. And, um, and I think we need to remember that. Authenticity isn't um, a route to accessing our gifts as much as it, it is the gift that then uh, it unlocks other things that we are going to offer into the world. So what you're saying is we need to sort of embrace all of it, but we embrace embrace the mess, right? Inva- embrace the mess, yes. complexity, contradictions, all the stuff that we have. And that's kind of will help us in our own personal transformation, and which obviously comes Absolutely. from within, right? Yeah. It's this understanding that we are not um, we are not compartmental beings. Yes, over the short term we can say, you know what, I'm going to have to set that aside. I, you know, I'm not going to go to work and cry all day today, so I'm going to set that aside a little bit. But we do need to understand that we are we are inside ourselves. We are connected beings, whether we want to be or not. How our body feels, how our mind is, those are one. That's not a separate thing. That is that is an interconnected system that that taken all together is who we are, but also we are connected to one another. We know that intuitively. We know when we walk into a room and we feel an energetic attraction to someone else because they're radiating um, they're radiating something good and something inviting. And usually that is the case with people who are being more authentic. The more that you bring of yourself, the more energy is able to sort of go out there in the world and that's appealing to people to feel someone else's truth. So given all of this, who would say, who is your book for, would you say? Where, who should be reading your book? All of us should be reading the book, men and women, <laughs> uh, definitely women and men, I should say, but men too, young yes, boys. Yes, let's say it that way. It's definitely, it's definitely not only for women, but I will say that I, I wrote it I wrote it thinking of women because I am a woman and because, you know, that is sort of my passionate endeavor in the world is to, you know, be a companion um, to other women. But I think and I hope that men could get a lot out of this book. I guess, I guess uh, another way of answering that would be that there's a lot in our society that has subconsciously, unconsciously, and now we're starting to surface it and see it consciously, that has been really for men, but women can uh, take part in it too. So this book is basically just like that. It's just like society has been all along, except I flipped it on its head. This is for everyone, but on the surface, it looks like it's more for women. Um, so, yes, and I do have some male friends who uh, have read bits of the book and have said to me, wow, this isn't just for women. I'm getting a lot out of reading this. What about people who are, well, those are people who are close to you. What about the people who are close to you? Like your family, for instance, I'm always curious when you, you know, as an author, you write the book, what's their response? Because family and people who are really close to you sometimes see you in a very different way than that. Not always, but then say the general public or the response to your book. So I always like to hear about uh, their reactions. That is interesting. Well, I will say that um, the only family member who has read the book yet is um, my partner 
who was kind enough to actually read it in a draft version to give me um, feedback, which was wonderful. And uh, he helped me to be sure that what was on the page and that what I was putting out there was how I am. I wanted, I didn't want to, it's really important to me to not put a book out there that doesn't match how my friends perceive me and how the people closest to me um, perceive me. So I think it's, you know, my brothers and my mother, um, as my father's not alive anymore, um, may see me a little bit differently, but that's family who sees you still at five years old. And um, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, there's always a little bit of an alteration, though I will say my mother, we had the book launch last night and my mother wasn't able to be there because she just recently broke her pelvic bone. And, um, and she was very, she was very upset and she sent me a message to say, you know, I just wanted to be there to strut around as the mother of the book. <laughs> I understand so, that. No, yes, my family, she to, yeah, she wants some of the accolades, right, for what your accomplishments. Um, I get that. Yes. We only have a couple yes. minutes left. So give us a website that, or a website or more that we can go to to find out more about you and your book and any other you know, you're somebody who's always transforming and going forward. So uh, give us some, uh, you can buy the book, I guess, Amazon, bookstores everywhere. But um, yeah. Well, I can, I am easily, uh, you can find out about me and you can also contact me through my website, which is minasamuels.com. That's M-I-N-A samuels.com. I'm also on Facebook. I have an author page. And again, Um, I always love hearing from women or from anyone. Uh, So that is another way to um, reach out to me. And uh, yes, the book is available on Amazon and in bookstores. So that would be uh, wonderful as well. And I am always working on new creative projects. I recently had the first production of a ensemble play for 10 women, of course it's for women, um, back at the end of March and early April. So that's another ongoing creative project that I'm engaged in as well as um, some other smaller writing projects. But I do have to say that this topic of um, how sports impacts women's lives and how it helps us to fulfill our potential is one that is so close to my heart and that I live every day that um, I'm certainly not going to stop writing about it and thinking about it anytime soon. Great. It's great having you on the show. I just, I'll mention the book again, Run Like a Girl, 365 Days, and it's a practical, personal, inspirational guide for women athletes. Mina Samuels, thank you. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 